going to jump into something that uh, is a passion of mine, okay? And I was trying to think of what I could do on such short notice, getting, getting the call this morning that I, would be, uh, that I would be bringing the word this morning. And I started kind of thinking through and I thought, you know, what better to speak on than something that I am personally passionate about, uh, something that I can lean into and I can invest into. And um, I started looking through some notes and different things that I had, and I found, uh, I found a lesson I actually taught in the youth ministry, and you guys know I like to do that. I like to use what I'm teaching in the youth ministry in here so that you guys can kind of get a feel and, and a sense for what the youth are learning and what we're kind of doing in there. But I actually taught the, or preached the first lesson of the series in here a couple months ago uh, called... Uh, Big Church, Little You. Some of you may remember that. And we talked about this idea of putting our, uh, our personal opinions and our selfishness aside and allowing the church to flourish. And so this was a part of that same series. So it's going to have the same, it's going to have the same kind of feel, but it, this one is more about um, a different topic within the idea of being a member of the church and being a part of the big church with a little you. And, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, when we look back over the last couple years, I think we can all agree that they have been some of the hardest years that have been in our lifetime. Now, I know there's maybe some of you in here who lived through some harder times that are a little bit older than I am, but for me, uh, these years have been the hardest thing I've seen on a whole scale of for humanity that I've ever witnessed and um, you know there have been so many hard things that these last couple years have produced but I think one of the things that has been super positive about <clears throat> what these last years has produced is the ability for churches to become more accessible from outside the church building um, we look at, you know, how church has always been kind of a place you go. Uh, you know, I, I had Patrick put this picture up here, you know, just a small country church building. I think we always call those shotgun churches, right? Like where it's just one aisle and that's the whole church. I don't know if anyone else calls that. That may be an Oklahoma thing. But um, anyway, we picture the church as a building, a place. And, and I think that the last couple of years for a while took away our ability to come to that place. And it really tested the bounds of what the church is. Because I think if I asked most of you in here, what is the church? You would say it's that building down on the corner. Or it's the place where I go to learn about the Bible. Or, and in reality, I would hope that at least some of you would answer and realistically, most of us should answer that the church is a body of believers who are serving God. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I read the Bible and I see very plain and clearly where it tells us that we should attend church. It tells people who believe and serve God that it is their responsibility to attend church, to commune 
with other believers. I see that. But what I also see in the Bible is that that is not the extent of what we are called to do as believers. And quite frankly, and I'm going to be honest with you, and we'll go into this more deeper, I think that's where many, if not most, or almost all of church members fail. We come up with millions of reasons why we are incapable or it's not possible for us to become more involved or to serve more in the church. And, and I'm going to be totally honest. I hear these excuses all the time. Like when I ask people, hey, is there any way you can teach this Sunday school class? Or hey, uh, how do you feel about coming and working with the youth or just coming and coming to the Wednesday night services with the youth and just hanging out with the kids and everything? And people are like, ah, oh, I just, I, you know. And 99% of the excuses are realistically garbage. Like they're just things that we come up with to satisfy our own selfish desire to not do whatever you're being asked to do. And I look at passages of Scripture, such as the Great Commission, and it does exactly what it says it's supposed to do, and it commissions Christians in exactly what they are supposed to do as followers of God to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and to teach them. The Great Commission does not tell us to go to church. Don't let the buildings that make up the church confine your faith because you will never change the world by going to church. You will change the world by being the church. And, and, and you know what? I think that this, this idea, this this idea of like, oh, well, you know, I thought what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to come to church on Sunday mornings, come on Sunday nights if there's a Sunday night service, and be here on Wednesday nights for an, a meal and a service, and that's just what it means to be a Christian. And I think the modern church structure of making being a Christian all about attending church is one of the things that is greatly diminishing the impact of Christianity in our society. So I want to look at this morning two areas where we are called to be the church, and we're going to kind of dive into them. And then I kind of want to, I, I, like I said, I taught this lesson in the youth, and so what I did was I gave the youth kind of a report card, if you will, of how I felt that they were doing or that our youth group was doing at serving in or, or at being these two areas of the church that we're going to talk about. And so I'm going to do the same thing this morning. We're going to walk through these two things, and I'm going to kind of give our church a report card, okay? So, um, yeah, that'll be fun. So the first thing we're going to look at is that we're called to be the church within the church. And I think that this is the area where most of us, you know, feel like we excel, we feel like we excel at being the church within the church because we're here. You know, you're sitting in a pew listening to some guy talk about the Bible. And I think that, uh, I think that we all in our minds have convinced ourselves that we're good in this area. You know, like we are the church in the church. 
But I'm not so sure that that's the case, the more I look at it. And, and, I, and I think that we would all in here agree that we would rather not be obligated or forced to do something than obligated and forced to do something, right? Like I would rather be able to do my own thing or do what I want than have someone else force me to do something I don't want to do. And, and you know what? I think this comes out in the way that people serve within the church. That people have this idea of what their service to the church looks like. And for some, it may be just attending service is the service you give to the church, that your presence is all that we need. But I think that a lot of people have this, this idea of what their service to the church looks like, and anything outside of that is an imposition. That anything that someone asks them to do over the top of what they're already doing is something that's being forced upon them and is, and is unpleasant. And I think what we do is we create this cycle, okay? We, we, we've created this cycle within the church, and, and, and I'm, I'm not, none, nothing I'm saying today is specific to this church. I've served in a number of different churches, attended a number of different churches, and I see the same thing in almost every church. We've created this cycle where young people and young adults will do a lot of the activity work, like they'll do like children's ministry, youth ministry, you know, uh, outreach events and everything. And then they will, once they get so tired and burned out from doing that, they promote to serving on committees. And then once they've served on a committee for a long enough time, they'll maybe chair a committee for a few years until they get tired of that from church work and they always just allow the next generation to filter in the gap that is left. And, and I'm not trying to step on any toes when I say that, but I'm just saying this is the, the format that I have seen played out in churches over and over again. And the more I think about this, the more kind of disgusted I am that we have created this sort of cycle and this sort of culture within our church. And I'll look at Romans 12. And uh, the first half of Romans 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore I ur urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And skipping ahead to verse 4. It says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many from, we are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him, it, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And I look at this, and I don't see a structure where the church, like, is a conveyor belt, 
where everyone is this mass-produced Christian and they follow the same sort of structure throughout their time of serving God. But rather what I see is people who are gifted by God through the, through the Holy Spirit and given spiritual gifts to serve the church in a very specific way. And it lays out some of those ways right there. But, but, but we have to realize that, that God has gifted any believer, any and all believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's designed the church to work almost like a puzzle in the way that some puzzles have four pieces that stick out on all sides and some have four I call them innies. I don't know. Innies and outies. That's not, I don't do many puzzles. But some people are for outies and some people are for innies. And you need both of those for the puzzle to work. If you had a puzzle full of pieces that all looked exactly the same, your puzzle would not work. And so I don't understand exactly why the church has gone to this, this extent to try to create, again, this mass-produced conveyor belt type of, hey, this is how a Christian should look. You know, when they're, when they're young, they should serve in this way. And then when their kids move into the youth, they should serve in the youth for the six years their kids are there. And then they should move into this. And, then, and we've done this almost thinking that we have perfected what it means or how it looks to be a Christian. And we're completely devaluing the fact that God has given each of us spiritual gifts to serve in a way that is edifying to not only the other believers in the church who are serving in their own lane, but also edifying to God who gifted us these abilities. You know, I think the, the modern church has gotten away from this spiritual gifts model in two ways. One, we've begun to look for churches full of people just like us. When people visit a church, and I've been guilty of this too, they look around and they go, how many other people in here look like me, are my age, like the same things I like? Do I fit in this church, meaning I look like everyone else in this church? And we do this because we want to fit in. Like, it's no surprise that as humans, we like to fit in. Like, that's not a shocking revelation that I'm sharing with you up here. We like to fit in. And we feel at home. But going to a church where we fit in and feel at home because everyone's like us is not the way to highlight our spiritual gifts. In reality, we should walk into a church knowing what our spiritual gift is and say, do they have a program? Do they have an ability? Do they have a way for my spiritual gift to be highlighted through serving this church? And if we walked into churches with that mindset, rather than looking around at, does everyone look like me? I think churches overall would be much better off. Because that is the, the, the structure that God designed us for. So we've gotten away from God's design by looking for churches full of people like us. And the second way is we've changed the main purpose of the church from serving God to serving ourselves. And this can be a hard thing to hear because I think most people in here who expect the church to serve them in their heart think that they expect the church to serve God or they would say that with their mouth. 
And, and I'm going to be honest, and, and a lot of the things I'm saying comes from a position of being on a church staff, okay? So maybe I'm bitter, maybe I, I don't want to think I'm bitter. I'd like to think that I just see from a different perspective how people act and expect things from us. But I'm just going to say this. We should never feel, as, as people in the church, that the staff or the leadership of the church is not doing enough for us but should rather consistently feel that we are not ever doing enough for the church. And, and I'm just going to be honest, from a position of someone who is, is a staff member at this church, I understand the expectations that are placed upon me, and I understand how often something will get texted to me or called to my office or someone will call the church and then they'll buzz back to my office and say, hey, can you do this? We need you to do this. Can you fill in this role? Can, do you know how to do this? It's, it's all the time. And I'm happy to do that. And honestly, I, I rejoice in getting to serve this church. I love it. It is my passion. But it gets very tiring when I pour of myself in these ways only to hear people say that I'm either not giving enough or I need to give more. When in the same vein, I turn around and I look at these people who are saying these things of me and they themselves are the type of people who just come to church as their form of service. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not speaking of this church specifically. I'm just speaking generally of what has happened to the modern church. We have become a place that feels like the church is designed to serve us. That it should cater to us. That it should do the things that we want. That it should be the way that we desire it to be. That it should be the way that it is. it was whenever we were kids and we did these things and we had these programs. And, and that's just realistically not what God has designed for our mentality to be about the church. There's this thing, and I've heard this taught over and over again from the pulpit, and I'm not trying to beat it into anyone's head, but there's this principle that, that is talked about in the church called the 90-10 principle, that 90% of the people do 10% of the work, and 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that this 90% of people who do 10% of the work don't care about the Lord, because this church is full of people who greatly care about the Lord. That's why you're here. You came to learn. You came to hear God's word preached and hopefully have your mind renewed by God, just as it says in Romans 12. So you, so you love the Lord, but that number, let's say 100% of people love the Lord, okay? That number gets knocked back a little bit by people who, quite frankly, also love themselves and feel that they are important and that their time and their life is just too valuable to allocate some of it to serve the church on a Wednesday night. 
And then that number that is now knocked down considerably lower than 100% is also taken back more by people who feel that they are incapable of serving for whatever reason. This could be they're incapable because they don't have time. They're incapable because they don't want to. They're incapable because they don't feel like they know enough about the Bible to step in and teach a kindergartner. So that number gets taken back by people who feel that they can't serve. And then that number gets taken back even more by the people who are burned out from serving because they have been serving in so many different roles for so long that they are weary and tired. And so we end with a small number of people who are now the only ones left to serve. And they get pulled and directed in a number of different ways around the church. And they serve as hard as they can until they themselves reach a point of being burned out and exhausted. And then they start to fall into one of those previous categories and the number just continues to dwindle. And the cycle goes round and round and round. And as I taught this lesson in the youth ministry, I, I, I was able to commend the youth because I, I don't know how many in here see this, but the youth do a fantastic job of serving this church in a number of ways. They serve in many various areas around the church, and honestly, I, I, I truly feel this, that from year to year, programs like Vacation Bible School, uh, my own upward basketball camps that we did this summer, uh, Children's Church, uh, Pro Presenter, things that, that people don't necessarily see, these things would not happen if the youth were not giving of themselves to make them happen. And this, isn't, this is not a chance for me to like, the youth are so awesome, okay? They're, they're okay. Um, but I was able to commend them for the service that they give to this church. And, and, and I think that at times people are like, well, of course they want to go serve in children's church. They get to be in children's church instead of sitting in a big church and listening to the, the sermon. And I'm not going to lie. Some of them may have at one time felt that way. But I can tell you right now from conversations I've had with many of these youth that their passion is to serve the church. And whether it's upstairs clicking on a computer to make what you see on the screen look good, or whether it's getting their hands dirty in the nursery, or whether it's investing into our children's ministry because there is a glaring need for people to serve in that area in this church, they have been there to answer the call. But on the other hand, I, in the same sense, I also gave them a warning. I, I, I gave them... A, a warning that <clears throat> when, you, when you give of yourself in so many areas, in so many ways, you, you have to guard yourself from becoming burned out. And what I fear is that we lean so much on this generation of students to do things for us around the church that by the time they get to be my age, 
they're ready to find a church where they can just be a church member. And I gave them this warning to guard themselves, and, and, and I'll say the same thing. And I, and I think that people feel like that, whether it's youth or whether it's pastors or whatever, that, that we have this amazing ability to serve without ever tiring. But I'm going to tell you it's quite the opposite. Pastors, and I can speak for myself and I can speak for Aaron, I know for sure, we tire quickly because we're shouldering so much of what this church is and does. So let me give you some advice to, to anyone in here, and, and I'm not just saying there's youth. We have a number of people throughout this church who serve in so many different capacities and number of adults that have come into my office and told me that they love serving this church, but they are just so exhausted that they are getting burned out. So this isn't just applying to the youth, but to anyone who is working themselves to the bone to serve this church, let me give you this warning about guarding yourself. If you begin to tire of serving the church or doing work in one area, do not just quit serving the church and do nothing, but rather find an area, a new area to serve, a new way to find a way to invest into this church to get a change of scenery, but never stop serving God. And, and I get that that's hard to do. That's hard to do whenever, and, and I'm going to be honest, I've, I've seen this myself whenever I look at other youth pastors or when I look at other things throughout the church. And it's hard sometimes when you're so burned out to look around and see a lot of people not doing very much around the church and just to say, you know what, everyone else is just sitting around and being served by this church. Why can't I be too? And, and, I, and I, I caution you about falling into your own selfishness. As, as Exodus 23, 2 says, do not fall into the crowd of doing the wrong thing. And, and I, you know, I try not to talk about OU because people get mad at me, but most of you know that OU just hired a new football coach in Brent Venables. And, if, and, you know, I love OU football. And so I listen to press conferences and everything. And he, if you ever hear Brent Venables speak, he preaches the gospel in what he says. And, and it's truly remarkable to hear him talk about his faith through the thread of a sport. But he said something in an introductory press conference about his players. And this saying that he said has stuck with me for a while. And he said, wrong is still wrong, even if everyone's doing it. And right is still right, even if no one does it. And I look at the church and to those who look around and say, well, everyone else is doing it. Can't I just, no, you can't because you're doing what's right, even if no one else is. Follow God's call to serve the church and the other areas that, so we need to follow God's call to serve the church. So Inside the church is the first area where we have, to, we have to be diligent in serving the church because without the inside part of the church, there is not the second part that we're going to talk about, and that's the outside part of the church. This is where I feel like as a youth ministry and as a church really in general, we can tend to fall short is our work outside of the church. And I know uh, 
whenever I brought this up in youth ministry, we had a few kids in there that had talked to me multiple times about wanting to do more outreach and wanting to do more missions and things like that. And I, I said, okay, I get it. Whenever I say this, that as a youth group, we struggle with this, your heads are going to explode. But I'm also preaching to myself at this moment. Because I don't know if you realize, but whenever I teach things that God is showing me in my life, it can apply to me as well. But when we look at this idea of being the church outside of the church walls, again, we come up with a million reasons why we can't do it, why we can't invite people to church, why we can't uh, get our peers to come to an event. I, I'm going to be honest, we have this amazing event planned for next weekend. And it's going to break my heart. I've seen revival after revival at this church where we do what's called a revival. And then the only people who come are people who already attend our church. And if you're having to revive your own church from itself, that's not a good thing. A revival should be a place where we call upon people who have been absent from church or maybe absent from the faith and to be awakened, to be revived back to their faith in God. And so I would challenge you as you go throughout this next week to think about people who, you know what, maybe they wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning. Or if you said, hey, come to Sunday school and then we're going to have a sermon, they'd be like, oh, that sounds awful. But if you said, hey, why don't you come Saturday afternoon, we're going to have a service, and then we're all going to eat some good food and watch the hogs play. That is something that people might actually come and hear the gospel at. You know, we, we come up with all these reasons that we can't serve outside the church, but realistically, again, they're all blockers to preserve our selfish desires, which is to not deal with the, the negative criticism that can come from inviting people to church and being rejected. Realistically, it should be little to no challenge at all for everyone in here to find one person that can come to a revival service with them at some point next weekend. That should not be a challenge for you to find one person. But I'd be willing to bet that when it comes down to it next week, 90 plus percent of the people who are here will be people who regularly attend this church. Now, I hope you guys prove me wrong. I genuinely do. And I gave this same challenge to the youth when it came to camp this summer because I said the exact same thing about that. That, you know, we talk about how easy it would be to get one friend to go to camp with us, but yet 90% of the kids who go are kids who attend our youth group regularly. And I'd love for that number to be much lower of the percentage of, of church members who attend our services next weekend. But I think when it, when it all, when it, when we boil it all down, the reason that we refuse to outreach is selfishness. We have some sort of hang up or fear about asking someone to come to church with us. And I mean, I think about like, what is the worst case scenario? Okay. Now, Granted, you could probably come up with some crazy worst case scenario than what I'm going to say. But worst case scenario, I tell the kids all the time, is like, worst case scenario, you invite a friend to church and they say, you know what, 
I don't like any of that Jesus nonsense. I don't think I'm going to be your friend anymore. And you lose a friend out of the ordeal. And I'm going to be honest, if that's the worst case scenario, then we should be asking every single person around us to come to church. Because I look in Scripture and I see what the disciples went through for the sake of the gospel. And I think us maybe losing some social status over it is, is it just pales in comparison. You know, I, I think about the 12 disciples and we know that 11 of the 12 disciples ultimately lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And I think about what that means about the truth of the gospel. We want to talk about how can we prove that Jesus is real? How can we prove that God exists? How can we prove the Bible is true? And I think the best way is to look at the 12 disciples and how all 11 of them were given an opportunity to reject what they believed for their own self-preservation. And 11 out of 11 said, I stand behind what I believe. Take my life if you must. I don't know about you guys, but if I pulled any 12 people or any 11 people from any walk of life and told them to stand behind something that they believe, whatever it is, to the degree that they would give their own life for it, I would never expect it to be 11 out of 11. I would expect probably most of them to say, I will believe whatever you want me to believe if you do not kill me right now. But no, they all stood their ground and staked their claim with Jesus until they met with him in heaven. But yet we can't even bear to think about the fact of rejection when it comes to inviting someone to church. It's sad where our standards of being the church have fallen. I look at uh, Acts 7, and this is the first account of a Christian martyr in Stephen. And he stands before uh, the Jewish leaders, and he gives a, a, a scathing speech. And if you have not read Acts 7 in a while, I would challenge you to go read it. But at the very end of Acts 7, he says these last three verses in 51 through 53. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers and you resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. And I wonder how many of us today fall into this category that Stephen is speaking to. Now, we are not Jewish leaders, but we are Christians who I fear have lost sight of what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ and to serve the church by being the church. We stand resistant to the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is this equipper 
of gifts, and yet we reject that. We reject God. We're resistant to the Holy Spirit. And in a day and age where I hear everyone that I know that is a Christian talking about the end times and how they're prepared for the end times and they're ready for Christ to return, all I hear is people talk about the problems we have in our world, the problems we have in our society, like, hey, have you seen what Disney put out this week? We even hear people complain constantly about the problems in our church. And, and almost, almost assuredly, they end these complaints, they end these frustrations with, Lord, come quickly. There's no fixing this problem. Jesus just needs to come back. And I almost never hear people talking about what they are doing to reach the people who are lost in our society the people who are falling prey to the very things that they are complaining about. Or I never hear any conversations about how we can start new church ministries or, or who's willing to work them to attract this generation that is being lost to these things. But by all means, I know who's unhappy about the new location of the coffee pots. Guys, I've had enough of this self-serving Christian culture. It is time for us to put our opinions, our desires in our back pockets and start being the church. I look at Jesus confronting Peter after he denied him. And I think many of us can probably, I would hope that at some point throughout this message we felt convicted about how we ourselves have denied Jesus in the same way that, not, maybe not in a verbal way that Peter did, but in the way that we act towards him. And I look at Jesus' response to Peter, and he asked him three times if he loves him. And Peter said, of course I love you, Lord. And what does he say to him every time? Feed my sheep. Because there's a call for us to be the church in this world. It's about time we start acting like it's our responsibility. I have a song that I want to play for you. It's a video. You can read the words. If I know sometimes lyrics can go a little fast, but I got the words up there. You can read them. But this was a song that that I, I really like, and it speaks to me. I told you I'm very passionate about this idea of serving the church. It's why I serve in ministry. And this, this song, I think, really speaks to the state of where the church is right now. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have us play this song as our close to our service. And then we're just going to go straight into a time of invitation. And I just want to challenge you right now. I think most people feel that if you come down front and pray that there's something really wrong with you, like, oh, what's going on in their life that they had to come to the altar this week? Guys, this altar is a place where you can meet with God. If you feel convicted about what God is doing in your heart right now, come to this front. Meet with God. Get things right. So I'm going to pray for us very briefly to close the service so that we're going to play this song and then we'll just go straight into a time of invitation. God, I thank you so much for the love that you give us, that you equip us through the Holy Spirit to do your work.
God, I pray that you would just help us to be people who have a passion for serving your church, to, to, to be the church in this world that is lost and dying around us. God, we, we just pray that you would just soften the hearts of those who need to be broken this morning, who need to realize that it is their time to invest into the service of this church. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.